are listening to Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Tran. Out of the Box is sponsored by HugMeTees.com. Spread love, give a hug, HugMeTees.com. Guys, we are now on SoundCloud. Go on SoundCloud and look for Out of the Box Podcast and click on the follow button. We love all of our subscribers and listeners on iTunes and Stitcher. But if you guys could go on SoundCloud and click on follow, that would be awesome. We don't have that many followers on SoundCloud and we're kind of sad. So we don't like that. And as always, if you enjoy our podcast on iTunes, what is the number one best way to support the podcast? You got it. Click on the subscribe button on iTunes and also leave a positive comment. If you've already done both, you can check us out at outoftheboxpodcast.com and click on the donate button. We're now accepting Litecoins, Bitcoins, and all alternative currency. I am so excited because I have a really, really awesome guest today. His name is Andrew Morgan. He recently directed a film called True Cost Movie. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm great. Good to be here. Good. I'm so excited. I originally heard about your film through Marianne Williamson, actually, who was a guest on the show promoting um, uh, government reform. And I saw her uh, tweeting about it or Facebooking about it. And before I even watched it, I already promoted it. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I don't need to watch this. I already know it's going to be awesome. So I posted it on my Facebook and Twitter, and then I watched it, and it lived up to all the awesome expectations. So Mm. thank you for making it. Oh, you're welcome. That's really kind of you. Yeah. um, So what made you get into, you know, making a film like this? Obviously, it's very socially conscious, um, and it digs into something that we all kind of know in the back of our minds. But I think you said before we started the podcast that there was no film out there like this. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I and I had no background in uh, you know the film. We should say the film explores the uh, the world behind the clothes that we wear, and I had no experience in that. I had no experience in fashion. I had never I never made a film on that. Um, I I remember picking up a, a copy of New York Times um, one morning. When I was getting my coffee, and I saw a, a photograph and an adjoining article about the clothing factory that had collapsed in Rana Plaza, Bangladesh. And I remember standing there with my coffee that morning just thinking two things as I read that article. Um, one, uh, how is it possible that an industry that was this powerful and profitable was doing business in our modern world in such a way that, as I read in this article, was continually leading to the loss or the lessening of, of human life? But the more chilling thing that I remember thinking that morning was, how is it possible that I'd never thought about where my clothes came from? And that, that realization that I had been growing up, going to a mall, going to a store, buying a shirt, buying pants, you know, getting dressed every day, and I had never stopped to consider what kind of impact that really was having on the world. And I went back to my office that day, uh, shared the article with my producer, and we spent the next week researching, reading everything we could get our hands on. I started picking up the phone and calling people all over the world, some of which ended up being in the film. And just saying, help me understand this story. Help me understand what's taking place. Help me understand, and help me understand why there's never been a film like this, to your point. Help me understand why this is something we all kind of vaguely know, and yet we've never really confronted in a, in a serious way. And man, the, the story that started to unravel in front of me was just uh, shocking and uh, too, too important not to tell. That is very profound. Um, now, you say it's something that you never thought about. Now, for me... It's something that I always knew in the back of my consciousness, but I think you were talking with my friend Chris earlier. It's kind of like, um, you know, you know, Chris, our our friend, is a vegan, and he he talks about, you know, he kind of had it in the back of his consciousness, but didn't um, think about it till he saw Earthlings. I kind of accounted to for those of you who are not vegan, you know, factory farming. Mm. Everyone in America kind of knows factory farming exists and the conditions are really horrible, but we want our bacon. We don't care. We don't want to think about that, right? So I kind of think that your film is the clothing version of that where we kind of know in the back of our consciousness okay a shirt's not supposed to cost five bucks Mm. right Mm. you know uh this used to be made in america now it's made in bangladesh whatever i want to save 10 bucks or or whatever and so i think it kind Mm. of is floating or you know you say you weren't aware of it but i think it's kind of floating around in the back of our our consciousness that that's not normal like that's that how can you make a shoe for for five dollars or ten dollars because you know we've all gone to the mall and, and seen these crazy sales and these you know black friday manias and it just doesn't make logical sense yet i think there's a, a level of either conscious or subconscious ignoring of well i want to save this ten dollars so who cares so i think mm. you're the questions that you're bringing up are really profound because it's not just um, where does it come from? It's where does it come from? What is the environmental impact, which is something that I did not have in my consciousness? 
Well, and I think for me, uh, I, I think that's really, I think that's a good point. And I think for me, the most shocking thing I discovered, um, I expected to go make a film about clothing. I think what I ended up in the middle of was a story about really uh, what kind of role do we play as human beings in our world. And I think what I mean by that is I realize looking back now that I've grown up in a story, in a, in a cultural narrative that really has cast uh, me, you, all of us in the role of consumers. Yes. And, and in the role of consumers, it's like we are... It, our, our most profound contribution to society is to be someone who takes in things. It's almost as if we stand at the end of like an invisible conveyor belt of the world and we just, we just take things in. And there's been an enormous uh, intentionality to that story, the story that separates us from the consequences of our choices in any way. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think we know somewhere in the back of our mind this isn't real. Like, this isn't this has to be costing someone somewhere down the line. And whether that's on the human rights level, wages, stuff like that we can talk about, or the environmental level, I think there's a growing consciousness shift. And it's probably the most exciting thing happening in the world right now where I think a lot of people are having the realization that, wait a minute, I'm, I've given up my role as a human being in return for a role as a consumer. And I think I'm more than that. Like, I think my choices mm. do have an impact. And that's profound. And to me, that's, that's what's really been life-changing here. And also the idea that we're all connected. I know there's this hippy dippy idea. Okay, we're all connected, whatever. We are the world. But really, we are connected. You know, we have this idea that, you know, whoever out in Bangladesh, well, he's living his life and I'm living my life over here in the United States or in Germany or wherever the heck I live. And we're not connected in any way, shape or form. Even though we know, again, that we live on this finite planet you know we can't get off it to our knowledge or at least go very far yet and so we're here and so we are connected you know if he is being you know um abused in this other country or there's pollution going on in that country it is going to reach its way back over it's not like i live my you know nice little happy life over here and he lives his miserable life over here and i have nothing to do with him no i directly have everything to do with him in a way Absolutely. No, it's absolutely true. And I think someone said to me the other day, there, there was, it was an economist, and he was talking about how like, our world is more interconnected and yet more isolated than it's ever been. And I think yes. that's the danger. That's the danger here is we're living in a, a massively interconnected global economy, and yet we are acting more than we've ever acted in a lot of cases as if we are on little islands that don't touch. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, you, I mean, you say, you say hippy dippy, like I'm okay with hippy dippy. And I actually think, I think on, on some level, I think we feel it. I really agree with you. I think we feel, I mean that, that sentiment that when there's suffering in our world, we feel it when there's strain, when there's, I, I just, I, I think we really do interact with that. It's the ultimate, um, is it a dichotomy that is, is something that goes against each other? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A dichotomy where I think you're totally right, where it's one thing, but it's also the other, right? So we're more connected. We have the internet. You can talk to someone all the way across the world. You know, there's like Facebook. You can, you know, now you don't even have to talk to someone. You're just like seeing their whole life or whatever. And then yet, because of the hyper media, we're also getting... Um, a little bit disconnected and you know like there was another shooting yesterday and so and it becomes one of those almost like mtv news glitches right Mm -hmm. it happens and we're like oh my gosh we're outraged it's horrible another shooting and then we forget it's the next thing and i think that that's kind of like um it's a hyper compassion right we know there's a suffering and we feel for it but then yet if I, as a human being, Andrew, taking all the suffering that I see on a daily basis, it's like too, it's like mm. overload. So then I shut down. Mm. Mm. And I think a lot of people, you know, experience that. Um, but I want to talk more about your journey with the film because, by the way, guys, if you haven't seen this film, it's amazing. Um, where can they find it? Uh, TrueCostMovie.com. They can look for it. It's now just opened internationally on Netflix as well. So it's, it's, uh, iTunes, Amazon, Netflix, it's its everywhere. Okay, so it's on all of the um, alternative media outlets. Is it playing in any theaters? Or? Um, it's, it's, we, we did a theatrical run that's completed now. Um, you can still host, uh, we're having hundreds of like uh, independent screenings hosted around oh, the world. Fun. So if anyone's listening is interested in, in doing that, they can, again, go on the site and find the info. Okay, um, also, I just want to say, you know, a lot of times with the idea of anti-consumerism, uh, there is this kind of fear 
or what I've heard of people saying, oh, it's socialism, it's anti-capitalism. You're not advocating that. You're just saying there's got to be a better way to do business. Is that correct? Or you are saying that capitalism <laughs> is an evil machine? No, I'm not saying that. I think I'm saying that... Because you do show this this wonderful uh, company that's doing things in a green and sustainable way yeah, in absolutely. the film. No, I think business can be a profound uh, tool for good in the world. And I think that we need to be generating economic growth. I think we've just lost some things along the way. And I think we've become... We've come to one extreme. Really far. Yeah. Really, really far to one extreme. So I think the idea of kind of evolving or moving forward would be, you know, just, just an element of like factoring in. And the, idea, the idea of the true cost is just that we've, we've kind of externalized all the actual costs and we only count profit. And that's really problematic. You know, that idea of we don't count or keep track of natural resources being used. We don't factor in waste being generated. We don't factor in human beings as anything other than like a raw commodity on the on profit and loss statement. So it's just kind of like the picture of a world where when you only measure it's profit. It's too much business. It's, yeah, yeah, you're losing some stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really important to note because sometimes, you know, people will say, oh, well, that's, you know, you're anti-business or how are, how are we supposed to grow if we're not you know, and, and you're just saying this is the true cost of it, mm-hmm, right? There's mm-hmm. there's other costs to be accounted for, not just dollar signs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like someone someone likened it to me of, you know, if business, if it's compared to like a, a game of soccer, you know, there's uh, there's competition, there's creativity, um, there's yeah, a whole lot that's good about it. It's not only about winning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but in that equation, like you have to have some rules, right? Yeah. In a game like soccer, you have some rules. And those rules don't take away competition. They actually, in some ways, make it even more competitive. Because it's fair game, right? And we're just kind of saying with this, you know, there has to be rules. And those rules can't be written merely by the people in the field. And I think that's that's what we've seen up until this point, which has been damaging. Um, so you traveled around the world for this film. We did, yeah. <laughs> Quite a lot. Um, what were some of the most interesting and profound stories personal stories that you encountered that didn't make it into the final edition? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, it takes hours and hours and hours and hours to make a film and then you cut it down to two hours. Yeah, I think our first cut was like six hours, which <laughs> okay. I would not wish upon my worst enemy. <laughs> that's why nobody likes to be friends with a documentary filmmaker because they say, hey, can you watch my rough cut? And people are like, no, I'm not doing that. You're getting maced. <laughs> you can only do that once, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, we did. We 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 traveled for a couple of years, and uh, we filmed in thirteen countries in all. And and some of those countries we were in multiple times. Um, and it was life changing experience. You know, I had never done that extensive uh, travel, and I had never done travel that took me to such opposing parts of the world in such a short time period. So, what does that mean, opposing? Well, like in the same week, I would be on um, you know a fashion runway in Milan, and I would be in uh, a slum in India. So very high end, low end. Very high and low end, and and just like that makes sense on paper. You know, you're like, okay, I get there. Parts of the world are very rich. Parts of the world are very poor. But I think when you start to travel and move back and forth very quickly, it kind of has this. Um, Did it, it feel surreal? Like it wasn't a real thing that was happening. Like how can this extreme wealth and extreme poverty exist within the same like hour and a half travel? I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I think that's part of it. Yeah, I, and I think like and and the other part of it is like I, I've like just accepted that. I've written that off as normal. Like I've I've just so come to see before it the as, film. Yeah, yeah. And and when you experience it, you're like, wait, how is this? No- wait, what? Like, how does, how does this one group of people over here have all this opportunity and not just resources, but really opportunity to better their lives? And how does this group of people over here that's, that's just as hardworking, that's just as, you know, they, they just, just have don't. Yeah. They just really don't. That was, that was hard for me. Um, some of the stories didn't make it. We spent a good bit of time filming in Uganda, I mentioned, uh, and that didn't make the cut of the film at all. We were I don't with. I remember um, seeing a lot of Uganda. Yeah, it didn't make the cut. It, it was the, there was a whole story with a um, uh, a group of cotton farmers there, and they had actually gone through uh, the war that really ripped apart Uganda, and they were coming out of. Uh, they lived in displacement camps for many many years, and they were coming back to their villages to set up uh, farms and and really get um, kind of a second crack at a life that was taken away from them. And that was that was really profound. I mean, that was just a really amazing. We were there for several. We were, we were there for a long time, and and it was just a. There was just something. It was my first time in Africa. There was something about that experience that was. Um, 
I don't know. It's it's both both very dark and very light. You know, you were dealing with a uh, an area uh, north of Gulu there where it's like you can still see scars on people's faces. You can still you can just feel there's a darkness. You know, that's from the war, from and, the like, war, rapes from and murders and all this stuff. Really, a lot yeah. of brutality, and yet to see families and 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 these farmers trying to set up farms and to see the the community coming together around them and to see like you know these guys would go out and they'd all they they love they're very you know they love talking and hanging out and they would all um they would kind of work on each of their farms together you know each of these guys so they would all go to one guy's one day and all go to another guy's the next day and it was just really beautiful there's just something really um very very inspiring about their story um it sounds like there was a sense of community and just the human spirit getting back together and saying hey we got to get back on that horse right i think that's true and i think that 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 human story is what's profound everywhere we went i mean i think like when you do research for a film like this and you start to understand a lot of facts and figures and numbers and things on paper, it's, it's one thing. But then you go experience it and you realize these are human beings and these are, uh, these are very real people's lives. And I think that has just a, I mean, that's probably the most simple sounding revelation, but to me, it just humanized the world for me in a way that I don't think I had experienced before. So it made you feel that we were all connected. It wasn't like this was someone else somewhere. It was like, and you know, and I'm assuming that these people accepted you in, and they were pretty, you know, open Hugely. to your to Hugely. your filming and very, you know, loving or whatever. They were very loving, yeah. And I mean, it was it was an amazing thing because when we'd go to these countries, one of the first things we'd have to do is spend time with fixers and translators, and sometimes local journalists and people that that could give us access. And so I spent a lot of time communicating to those people, like you know, my heart for for the story and what we were looking for. And then once they got that, once they really bought into that, it was like they, there was nothing they wouldn't do for us. And they'd sneak us into factories and they would organize workers and they would take us out to, I mean, it was like they would tell us when we needed to hide, when we needed to, I mean, really, it was, those are still today some of the, the those are just very special relationships going forward. Um, were they as passionate about the message once you enrolled them into what you were trying to do? Hugely. Hugely. And it's an interesting thing because in some of these places, you know, you're, you're going to a country, it's like, you know, if someone comes to Los Angeles, they're like, I want to see uh, Santa Monica Pier and Hollywood Boulevard. And you take them around, you show them Griffith Observatory or whatever. You're going into some of these countries saying, I've never been here before. And I actually, I need you to help me get access to some of the most ugly things happening. And mm. so it was just important to say, hey, I'm not, I'm not doing that to make your country look, look bad. bad. Yeah. I'm trying to put together a story that's, that's going to be helpful. Um, now, being in some of these extremely impoverished areas and being American, were you ever fearful? Yeah, I mean, it got a little scary. Because there's scary. some anti-American sentiment abroad. Yeah, it got, it, it got a little scary. I mean, I think we had really good people that were traveling with us, um, and they helped us understand. Like, we were in some – there was some um, – some police stuff and some of the riot stuff in Cambodia. There was, um, there were times where we got stopped and just kind of, uh, people just wanted money. You know, it was just a very straight up, like, I'm going to put hey, a gun in front of you. <laughs> Give us money. <laughs> I'm assuming you have something. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, it was, it, you know, one of the most scary things about those situations, to be honest, is, uh, it's an interesting feeling not speaking the language because you have a situation start to escalate. And you don't really have a good read on how it's how escalating, it's what escal- they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, are they just passionate? Are they just talking about old times? Are they, oh, no, they're not. This is not good. So, yeah, I had to trust some people strongly. But that also shows you how much of communication is nonverbal because mm. I've traveled abroad with my husband. And, you know, there were times where we would communicate with people and we didn't speak the language at all. Yet yeah. somehow we were able to piece together enough hand motions. <laughs> Isn't that, Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? They say eighty percent of um, communication is nonverbal. It's amazing. So and it's that amazing. happens, that it's happens um, all the time too. Where he'll visit my family and my parents mostly speak Vietnamese, mm. and um, sometimes he he's been taking classes. So my husband speaks Vietnamese now, but he'll respond sometimes. And my parents are like, "How did you know what we were talking about?" He's like, "I just put two and two together." I don't know. No, totally, totally. <laughs> well, and you're you're a comedian. Like I think uh, I think comedy has to translate better than anything. I remember we were in Bangladesh with uh, Shima, the garment worker that we follow in the film, and her daughter Nadia, and we were going back to their village. We were on this boat that night. And uh, her daughter was eating something, <laughs> and it fell on the ground. They don't speak English at all. It fell on the ground, and she looked around to see if anyone had seen, <laughs> and she picked it up, and right as she was putting it in her mouth, she like she locked eyes with me, and we both just started <laughs> laughing, you know? I love those moments, too, where it's like, we don't even need words. Like, this is the five-second rule, and it's happening all the way over here, you know? <laughs> That's great. Um, 
Well, that sounds really amazing. Um, now, let's talk about some of the issues that you dis- discussed in the film. And that doesn't mean you guys can't go and watch the film as well. But, um, you know, you talk about the human costs, mm. which is huge. Mm. Because obviously, you know, there is a cost, like I said, to getting a $5 t-shirt or whatever, mm. you know, cheap cost. There's a human cost. There's also an environmental cost, which to me, as I said earlier in the beginning of the podcast, I understood the human cost subconsciously mm-hmm. um, before even watching the film, you know, that a shirt can't just cost $5 without someone paying along the way. But the environmental cost to me was shocking. Mm. You know, you talk about, you know, the excess of clothes and even donated clothes. A lot of times people think, hey, I'm donating something. I'm, you know, making a difference. Mm -hmm. But you talk about, you know, a lot of donated clothes doesn't even get purchased. And then it turns into this garment waste. Mm -hmm. What is that? What is garment waste? Yeah, well, I mean, garment waste is simply clothing that's being chucked away. I mean, the average American now generates 84 pounds of textile waste each year. And that's not recycled. That's that's landfill waste. That's just straight waste. So old shirts, old clothes Mm -hmm. that don't get you know, you donate it to Goodwill, say, and yep. nobody buys it, and it goes into the dumpster. It really does. And I mean, I spent time in landfills in countries all over the world where it is just clothing waste as far as your eye can see. And what's what's really troubling about that is a lot of our clothing now is made with um, uh, synthetic fibers, so polyesters or things that don't break down. They don't mm-hmm. biodegrade. So you kind of think like, oh, that's terrible, but it'll sort of do its thing. Um, those can stay, those kind of fibers stay in landfills for 200 years or more, and they also off gas as they decompose. So that's. What, that's, what does off gas mean? It, it just means that they have a, I mean, there's qualities in them that are not pure. So, like if cotton, you know what I'm saying? Cotton is like a fiber where uh, it's going to have a natural decomposure process. Got Whereas it. when you have rubbers and other things introduced into clothing now, it doesn't do that in the same way. And I think all of it, you know, the, the clothing waste, like it, it's really one side of one aspect of clothing really this huge very rapid change where clothing has begun to be made and marketed like a disposable item and that that change has happened so fast that is something that was also shocking to me it's something that i knew again in the back of my consciousness i had remembered being a little girl you know i'm not that old i'm 31 I remember being a little girl and having the fall season come out right. and different seasons come out because I was really into fashion growing up and, and, and you know, the new style for school, back to school. That was the big thing, back to school, right? And every season they would have the new season. Oh, the new summer, uh, you know, line is out. And what I've noticed as a consumer is that now there's no launch. It's just 24-7 sale, Labor Day sale, Mother's Day sale, whatever there is as a sale, whatever there is, there's a new, 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 new. And so there is no more season, yeah. fashion season. It's just one yearly consumption round. No, completely. And I, and I, um, you know, what's been known or what's been called fast fashion, which is kind of playing off of the term fast food, is is just that. You know, a lot of these big retailers of fast fashion now replenish, have new designs, new stocks uh, as much as every single day. Every single day of the year, you can walk in and you can find something new and it is incredibly cheap. I mean, the price point has just gone down and down and down. It's a deflationary product. Everything else in our world's gotten more expensive. Clothing has continued to get cheaper for us. And so it has created a mindset that really is um, clothing is disposable. You know, clothing is something just I buy can something new, whatever, I'll donate up, the throw rest, it out. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter. And that's shocking. I mean, the last two decades as a world, we now consume 400% more clothes. And I mean, when you step back and realize, that's two decades. That's that's just a staggering shift in, in the way that we take that in. So then you naturally just sort of think for a couple seconds and you realize, okay, the, the amount of waste skyrockets in that equation because this is very cheap quality clothing. This is not staying in our wardrobes. Like, Yeah, it's not tailor-made, you know, no, custom-made suiting. This is not going in a museum someday, you know? <laughs> And that's, I don't know, that's just a really, that's a, that's a profound shift. And that has ripples all the way down uh, the line. And, and not just on waste on the environment side, but also on natural resources. I mean, the amount of water that it takes to make clothing, the amount of, these are resources that we are actually running out of in our world. And, and, and that's not a hypothetical thing. That's like really, statistically really statistically yeah. proven. You don't have to look past 2050 to say we could realistically be fighting wars over things like water and we could be, and yet we're, we're, we're and as we get closer, we're not slowing down. We're not being more careful. We're not becoming, we're, we're just like ratcheting it up. Now, do you think on the business side, you know, these large corporations and fast fashion corporations and, and things, do you think there's a lack of consciousness in general or do you think they, they understand the costs, you know, they've been visited the factories overseas and they just don't care. 
And it's all about pushing the bottom line. Yeah, I... I, Because I had a... I'm sorry to cut you off. I had a girlfriend that was a shoe designer. Mm -hmm. And she would visit the... You know, her company... I I don't want to name the company. You know, had her visit the factories in Mm -hmm. China. And she was very disgusted by it. And Mm -hmm. very disheartened by it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's people all the way across the board. And I've gotten to spend a lot of time with folks in these companies off the record. And... um, my experience personally has been that they are very good-hearted people, and mm-hmm. and I I generally uh, am a little more optimistic about people. But every time I have a conversation with these people, I come away thinking they genuinely uh, care about what's taking place. I think the struggle that those people are having inside these companies is they're not really being taken seriously. And you have departments like CSR departments. What what does that mean? They're corporate, not being cor- taken seriously. Well, it, it just means they don't have a place at the real grown-up table, the real board conversation, the real because what I mean by that the is the people that are in charge of production, the or? people that are ultimately steering the ship of the company are looking at one thing and one thing only in so many cases here and it's not only profit, but it's it is short-term profit gain. So what is net what is this What's quarter next? this quarter's profit, next quarter's profit? So to come to the table and say, "Hey, we have a long-term uh concern here about the legi- the long-term viability of our supply chain, about being able to do this, you know, or if we, or, or the humanitarian or the ethical." It's like it's kind of like yeah, That's yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Go back. Go back to the kids' table. Like, let's build another playground in one of these villages. Yeah. Um. You're not seeing major system changes. You're not seeing an ability to address uh, some of the larger concerns that we have. And frankly speaking, that's where I think people um, like you and I play a really valuable role because I think if you look throughout history at times where business has made improvements or moved the story forward it's only happened when their customers have demanded it it's only happened when the buying force says hey you know what it is not okay with us to have things that we buy be made by people who cannot afford to live in the poorest slums of some of the poorest parts of the world like that's just not acceptable um, we want better. You know, it's not till that voice becomes loud enough that these companies say, okay, that's actually... Because it, it's going to hurt our bottom line. It's actually going <laughs> to affect us. I mean, and that's not cynical. That's just, that's what they're set up to do. They're profit-making entities. So until you start to encroach on that, then you don't have anything. And that, frankly, is the role, that's what we're fired up about with the film. It's just to say, let's have more people in more parts of the world start to ask some really basic questions about their clothes. And that that already is starting to generate a really powerful conversation. So guys, if you're listening, that's something that you can do is you can vote with your dollars by only supporting companies that are ethical with their treatment. And also, you know, maybe writing to some of those companies that you are a fan of and saying, you know, maybe I was a customer and I, I'm not going to be a customer if you guys don't move forward with some ethical treatment. Also, um, you know, buying recycled. Yeah, that is it. That um, stops production because the production is based on sales. Yeah. And so buying recycled is a huge thing. One, if you're you know looking to save some money, it's economically better for your pocketbook. Yeah. And then two, also you're going to be you know usually um, thrift stores and other places like that um, support some type of charity organization, and you will be um, not creating more textile waste. So that's a good way. Um, the one point in your entire film that I had absolutely never thought about that was a total aha moment for me. It was, I think, only one small sentence an economist or somebody said something. And I wish that you would have elaborated more, but obviously you had to cut six hours down. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you that. <laughs> um, I can't remember who it was, but um, I think it was a gentleman. And he was talking about income inequality and that we're kind of being tricked in America in the first world with these cheap clothing items because you know uh wages have been stagnant for over 20 years now and this cheap fast fashion is making us lower and middle class people feel a little richer right so i have more clothes or i have more shoes or i can afford quote unquote more stuff so i i feel a little bit better about myself i feel a little bit richer and therefore i'm complacent in my you know play you know i haven't you know had an income raise or i haven't had a whatever but i feel a little richer it's like a fake feeling of wealth mm-hmm. right and that's really was something that was really interesting to me because i never had thought about it like that yeah you know what's crazy is when we started um when we started the film 
Uh, it was about two and a half years ago now, and certainly there was there was a lot of work being done about income inequality, and Robert Wright was already doing his stuff, but it hadn't really exploded like it has right now. You know, the wage issue, minimum wage stuff that hadn't really that really hadn't taken off, and it was a fascinating. You're parallel. part of the revolution, Andrew. <laughs> well, no, no, it was <laughs> it was a fascinating parallel to be in filming in all these different parts of the world, and to be reading American newspapers, and to be realizing. Like, wait a minute, there's a connection here. Like, these people who are, you know, fast food workers in New York City who are out in the streets are very connected to the same system that's leading workers in developing parts of the world wages to be pushed down to. You know what I mean? It's like a... It, it's it, a parallel. It's a parallel, and it and it's, it brings up questions that need to be asked really broadly. Um, so, yeah, I think that... I think you're right. I think it, there's a feeling of, I can buy something, I can buy something cheap, I can... You know, it makes me feel like my dollars go further, when in fact, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really solve some of the struggles and pressures that people are facing. It doesn't. And it doesn't solve the question of poverty. It doesn't solve the question of in, income inequality. It's just kind of like this momentary high. You know, I know a lot of people who are stuck in that consumer mindset who are like, well, I work really hard. I deserve to buy this. Mm-hmm. I deserve to treat myself with a new shirt or a new whatever. And that's kind of their way, like you said, as a consumer, instead of saying, you know, hey, I'm being uh, exploited by the system getting paid $7 an hour in America, which, you know, um, there's a lot of talk of, well, people in other countries live off $100 a year, but their cost of living is also a little bit different in that country. $7 an hour in America is extreme poverty, you know, um, if you're living off of that as a full-time income, considering the cost of rents and other things Mm -hmm. in our country. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like you're being tricked a little bit, and it's not... I don't know if it's a purposeful trickery, but it's you're being tricked a little bit so that you feel like maybe you're middle class when you're living below the poverty poverty line, or you feel, you know, hey, I have more, I'm more stuff. I'm, I, you know, it doesn't matter that the, the it's been seven dollars an hour for you know ten, fifteen, twenty years. Well, and even I think uh, I agree, and even with within fashion, like I, I have grown to have a profound respect for for the history and the art and the culture of the true fashion industry, and I think we're being tricked too in the sense that we feel like we're buying something that resembles luxury, that resembles fashion, it resembles, mm. but it's like a cheap knockoff. And yeah. I, you know, for me, like you mentioned, um, buying secondhand, but I, I've been amazed, you know, over the course of making the film. I, I made a choice just to buy secondhand, just just through making the film, just to kind of slow down, understand my choices better. And um, and one of the things as I've started to now, um, you know, support some of these brands that I've come to know and love through making the film, I've realized, uh, you know, if I, if I slow down, if I get off that treadmill of endlessly bringing in cheap, disposable, throwaway stuff to my life and instead move to a place or move back to a place where we've been throughout a lot of history where... I really buy things that I really love that are that high are, quality, that are higher valuable, quality. They're going to last. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to hold on to them. I mean, that's maybe the most sustainable thing that we could all do is to just say, I'm going to really invest in a wardrobe that I hold on to and get off of this like fake thing Cheap, that looks like cute, fashion. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, I don't think a lot of people realize it wasn't until I stepped back and looked at my own closet that I realized this stuff is coming in and out of my life very quickly. This stuff is falling apart very quickly. This yeah. stuff is actually, it's not leading me to, you know, where I want to go. So maybe buying, you know, a very high quality or maybe a little bit more expensive American made polo style shirt instead of buying three, four cheap ones from Old Navy and having to throw it out and there's holes in it and it's ripping and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's true. And I think there's sometimes that with some of the, the ethical companies or fair trade companies or more artisanal based companies, um, you know, a complaint that people have when I talk to them is, you know, I don't make a lot of money. I can't afford all these things. Like that's great for, you know, super, but again, just start reducing the amount of stuff and you'll be amazed at the margin you have to actually invest in those things that you, that you love. And you also feel really proud wearing. And I mean, I think that's the thing. I don't want anyone to walk away from this film. Like, feeling like they should love the things they wear less. Like we don't need shame here. We don't need guilt here. What we need is, hey, there's a part of uh, my life that I haven't considered, and it could become more rich, more meaningful, if I line that area of my life up to my values. And that's been, I, I'm saying that because that's what's happened for me over the last couple of years. Like I've, I've just nudged some of my habits, some of my little, little choices, and I've kind of brought them in line with the stuff that I believe in. And it just, 
it's just made my life richer. It's made my life more holistic. I'm proud of the things that I wear. I'm proud of the things that I'm, I'm proud of the stories that are coming to them. And I'm aware of the fact that I'm not a consumer, that I'm actually an integral part You're of a contributor. something. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word. <laughs> yeah. Um, and not just that, but, uh, you know, when people say, I can't afford this, I can't afford that. You know, if you're buying something that's high quality, that's well made, it's going to last longer in the long run. You know, maybe a $50 shirt is going to be better than having four or five cheap $10 shirts, whatever. Yeah. And in addition to that, you know, you can also support your local economy um, by by buying um, local mm-hmm. or support your neighbor who maybe makes clothes. There's, you know, we all love Etsy. Um, and there's a bunch of homemade and items on there where you can support someone and, and even chat with them and find out who actually made your item. That's what's cool too. I think as you slow down the amount of stuff coming in, you have mental space to ask that next set of questions. You know, who made it? Where did it come from? What kind of you know what kind of story? I couldn't do that when I was bringing things in constantly to my life. You know, but but I can do that when I'm carefully bringing things in. That's 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 an exciting thing. Now, let's talk about the psychological and emotional effects because we've talked about the human price. We've talked about maybe a little bit about the environmental price, which I want to go into more. But, you know, let's really talk about the psychological effects because that idea of fast fashion, something new, something quick, something cheap, um, it's also kind of an addictive mentality Mm -hmm. because you're thinking now, 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 pleasure, quick, fast, Mm -hmm. right? Instead of long-term and there's actually studies that have been done that show that when you're valuing these material things in that way, you're actually hurting your own psychological um, well-being mm. because you're feeding um, a very addictive uh, way of thinking. And you're also feeding an intrinsic value system, which is focusing on um, very shallow yeah. type of yeah. beliefs and values. Yeah. Um, I know you had a couple people talking about this a little bit. Um, you know, maybe you can elaborate a little bit. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that that's, that's like the really dark part of this whole thing to me is like, if we were doing this and this industry was creating the kind of mess and exploitation it was, and, and yet it was at least making us all way, way happier. <laughs> it would be, it would be one thing, you know, but to actually look at some of the scientific research as you're suggesting that says very clearly now that as as our materialistic sets of values go up our our other sets of values go down and by other sets of values you're right it's it's the more deeper it's the more intrinsic it's it's our connection to family it's our connection to the earth it's our connection to it's it's a lot of very rich things that we trade when we when we value materialism more and it was the it's a professor uh featured in the film that explained it to me kind of like you know values are we often think we all have an unlimited uh, capacity to value, and it's actually kind of like a pie, and you only have so much. You only have so much that you're actually going to lean into um, and care about in your life. So it's, if you care about materialism, you're trading it off for something trading. else. You're trading, it's exactly. It's a trade-off. You can't value all of it. That's exactly right. And and what you, what we've seen now in, in study after study after study is that as those materialistic values go up, um, happiness goes down. Um, all kinds of ways of looking at quality of life and enjoyment and fulfillment, those go down. Uh, depression goes up. Anxiety goes up. Even physical uh, illnesses go up. And so you you and 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 you you look at that in the context of America, which is maybe the most consumeristic, materialistic. Um, narrative that the world has ever experienced it it is so in our dna that it's really honestly hard to step back and look at it's kind of like the fish in water you know Mm -hmm. um but when you pull back and look at it and you say what are we valuing as a society what are we holding up what are we emphasizing what are we and and why are we doing those things if we know they don't lead us to a happier place and that's where you get to a place where you say the only thing they're serving is the interest of business. The only thing they're serving is profit. The only thing they're serving is the accumulation of wealth. And and that, and that I, goes back to the, not enough. It is. And it goes back to the income inequality because you're feeding the top, you know, 1% of the world because they're getting, you know, the top 1%, which owns the majority of um, real estate and stock and other things are getting as with the income inequality are getting wealthier and wealthier while the poor that are being fed, you know, fed off the backs of this are getting more and more impoverished. And so as a consumer, you know, I would, I would 
advise all of the listeners to really take a look at their lives and, and kind of wake up because we're being enslaved, but it's not called slavery. Um, I don't want to go so extreme as to say that, but but it, we re- it, the system is a, a slave type system. And, you know, you're going abroad and seeing all these people who are living in dire poverty who have no other choice. What What is slavery but a person who does not have any other choice? You know, am I am I saying something that's completely radical? Uh, I think you are, but I love it. <laughs> I love it. I, I like that terminology. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's why I'm I'm probably most focused, and it's it's what I'm going to use my life for. Is I'm I'm really focused on uh, the story, and I think that's what you're getting to. What stories are we being told? What stories are we believing to be true about the world? From marketing, from society, from others. and is it possible yeah. they aren't true? And is it even possible that they're not healthy? Uh, that that's I mean, history has moved and history has pivoted on moments where people have come along, and they've said, you know what, that's an old story, and we're going to reject it. We need a new story. And I think when you look at consumerism, when you look at this issue, I think we need a new story. And I think we have decades now to prove that this magical myth of the American dream that you could Quote have unquote. it all. You could, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just hasn't delivered. And not only that, but it's not a story. It's very important that you say that that has always existed, even in this country. Mm. There is a myth that that this is the American dream, but that is not always the case. This massive consumerism did not start until the turn of the last century. Mm. And before that, the American dream was more about determinism, self-determinism, making your way. It was more about making your way than owning and, and, and being wealthy and buying and consuming. That was not until the 1950s. And I don't know if you've ever taken a... Uh, marketing class but some of those ads from the 50s are absolutely genius slash evil (laughs) you know they have the doctor smoking the cigarette and he's saying oh it's so good for you and they have you know the kid eating the cornflakes and all you know it's it's really like wow we actually did that and we're still doing it but it's a little bit more cleverly disguised Mm. but there is a story that having it all is the american dream and that's not actually true Mm. that in itself is a story you know Mm. if you go back um before it it was more about american you know self-determinism and Mm. hey let me find america was kind of like the wild west crazy Mm. you know pioneer whatever and and it was not always that consume 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 so that is something that's new i would say even in the last 60 years Mm. um that it's been pushed so hard now it's kind of like you said run amok Mm mm-hmm it's gone completely um, crazy. But I, I really wanted to touch on the happiness because there's this, you know, delusion and this marketing that we've been marketed towards that that buying XYZ new product or XYZ new shirt or whatever is going to, you know, this, they show the supermodel smiling with, the, you know, the good looking guy. And that's that's it, it's what's being sold, not the product itself, mm. because you get this product and it's it's like you said, you know, disposable. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's really deep. Just keep talking. I'll, just keep, I'll keep listening to you. No, but I mean, you, you can really go, you can really go into a lot of levels of that. You know, I, um, yeah, as a filmmaker, like it's interesting even to look at, um, you know, some of the roots of television and, and advertising on television and, and that idea of uh, we're constantly looking at people's lives that are just a little bit better than ours. And then the commercial break comes and you have a credit card <laughs> and you have a depression medication and you have, uh, I mean, it's like kind of sick sometimes. But I think that's... Um, Do you struggle with really... this as a filmmaker? Because you're making documentary films, but that's not your, your only area, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that is like the major Hollywood headbutting is that you have all these artists in Hollywood, actors and and directors and people who want to make art, mm-hmm. right? That's what we want to do. We want to mm-hmm. make art, you know, comedians. We want to make people laugh. And then there's the business side of it. Yeah. And that's like something else. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really true. I mean, I'm and I love I love Hollywood. And Are I, you going to get sponsorship I'm for your like, movie? Are you going to get you know? <laughs> is this PC? Are you going to get you know? We need Tide to yeah. support your TV show or whatever. Yeah. Well, and there's times that we get it right. You know, there's times where Hollywood makes things that are just explosive in a good way, and I and there's moments I'm really proud of, and then there's moments where I think we forget what a platform we're standing on, and we forget just how powerful this tool is that we're wielding. You know what I mean? And that kind of, I think that that's the blessing and the curse of this medium is that it's just explosively powerful. And the moments when we use it for really good things that lead us to creating a world that's more empathic, more 
caring, more conscious, then man, that's amazing. So and is that your goal? Are you are you on the are you one of the good guys? Are you are you committed to making only not only but try to have a con- a conscious lifting? Yeah, of- I don't know. I don't know what I'll I'll make, but I think what interests me is it interests me to make films, whether they be documentary or narrative, that are. Um, entertaining but are introducing an idea or are sort of nudging an idea forward i i'm really i don't like things that are on the narrative side i don't like things that are super preachy you know okay so i hate i hate like the, the issue film where it's just like oh my god we get it you know like but but when it's done well it's really amazing and i think um i i'm a big yeah i have a i have a huge hope that i'm able to use storytelling to um yeah move move the story forward i think we i think we need it that's awesome. Um, so what are some ways, you know, you said you've made some changes in your life that have, um, you know, shifted your level of happiness mm-hmm. and also your level of consumerism, mm-hmm. you know, or did you get these ideas from the film or is this just something that you came up with? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think when I started the film, I, again, this comes from a very humble place. Uh, you honestly had no clue about any of this. No, I never thought okay. about any of it. And I think so right away it had me go in just saying, um, I, I, I want to know something and I want to learn about something. And then I want to figure out how to make those changes apparent in my life. And I have, um, I have, uh, kids at home i have you know we have family and we've we've just it's just changed the conversation around the stuff we buy that's what i would say as a whole there's been a lot of specific changes on clothing but it's also just sort of opened my eyes and my mindset to hey when i make a choice on any level um it has an impact and i have the ability to make better choices that's just the truth and that that mindset has led me to a place of feeling infinitely more connected to the world that I live in. I think it it lifts me out of just being isolated in a story about me and puts me back into a story that involves a whole lot of other people. But yes, because I think it can be a little bit overwhelming. You know, a lot of times people feel that they can't do anything. You know, what can I do? There's this giant global machine of production and what I'm just one person, right? Or I... Um, there's this whole world and, and all these environmental problems and, you know, I can't do anything. I'm just, I'm just me and yeah. well, I try to recycle, but, you know, th- that's all I can do. Yeah, well, I think, that's, that, I think that's really spot on. And I think that's the moment that we are, there we're sitting in in history is people are, uh, by and large, becoming more and more aware of some of the key issues facing humanity than they've ever been before. And that's an amazing thing, by the way. Um, and yet, I think you're exactly right. I think we're overwhelmed and we're fatigued and we almost feel a little bit defeated because they feel so big. And I felt that, like, before I came into this film, I, I, I felt like, you know, when you look at climate change, when you look at, you know, severe inequality, when you look at global poverty, when you look at, it's like, you just want to go back to bed. I mean, really, <laughs> you know what I mean? Really, yeah. it is like, it's overwhelming. I think what's exciting what grabbed me about this film as it touches on clothing is it was like, Hey, here's just one area where I could start to line up some very small choices I make with some of these larger things. And I think that's part of what we need. Part of what we need is ways to connect these big issues that we really care about together. A lot of people care about these bigger issues, but we need like strings that we can attach to our everyday lives to say, you know what? I'm not like turning the world over today, but I'm going to make these choices and they're better than those other choices I made. And I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to keep asking questions. I'm going to keep looking for how can my life add up to this bigger thing that we need to happen. And that just changes things. That's contagious. That moves around your circle, your friends and your family and your community and your city. Like I have more faith in the power of that to change the world than I do in any top down law or initiative or, or, you know, single action. I think that's important because, you know, I've seen a lot of statistics about people feeling overwhelmed specifically. You mentioned global warming with global warming and saying that, well, I know, you know, mo- uh, most the majority of people understand it and know that it's happening, but they just feel like, hey, it's not going to affect me. Maybe it'll be in my kids' generation where it's going to be uh, affecting them. So, you know, I'm just going to do what I can and that's that. Or or I, I can't do anything, so what's the point? You know, that hap- that's happened a lot in Los Angeles with the drought. You know, I, we've been in a four-year drought and 
um, despite, unfortunately, LADWP's efforts to advertise about it, there's actually been a 40% increase in water usage. And the studies have shown that it's because of the psychology of people feeling like, well, I can't do anything about it anyway, so, you know, who cares? And so I think it's really important to get the word out about your film and other projects like it where people can, you know, say, hey, I can do something Mm. because Mm. that's what is the only thing that's ever actually made any difference in the world anyway. Lucy Siegel has an amazing line in the film. She says, we can't just roll over and say, have it, do what you want with it. Um, it's too important an industry. And she's you know, obviously speaking about fashion. And I think it, it really connects to what you're saying. It's like, there's too much at stake here. There's too much on the line here. And I think that there has been sort of a, a passing around of responsibility where you know, we don't want it as consumers and we give it to the companies, the companies give it to the government and the government doesn't do that. And I think what we're all waking up to realize is that um, there really isn't, a friend of mine said this great phrase where he's like, you know, Superman really isn't coming. Like there really isn't, you know what I mean? Saying like there isn't someone else. You're Superman actually. It's it's actually going, it's actually on our shoulders. It's happening in our time. And I think that's like, for me, especially having kids, I think about it just in that window of we are my life. Like I'm alive for this one little moment and I'm accountable. You know, I'm not accountable for how I came into the world or how it was when I came here. But every bit that I learn, I'm more and more accountable for how I leave it. And that that can be overwhelming, but that can also be really empowering. I think a lot of people want to be a part of something bigger and more meaningful and more rich with their That's lives. That's actually one of our intrinsic needs, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of opportunity for that. So I think like, you know, when you look at something like consumerism or materialism, I think like the heartbreaking part for me is it's it's not just that people are being sold a story that's not true. It's like, hey, you're being talked down to. Hey, there's actually a better mm. story for your life. There's something so much more profound that you could be a part of in the world. Don't settle for just making enough to go to the mall and buy clothes <laughs> this weekend. You know, that's not a good story. Oh, that's actually really, really sad. But it made me laugh because i that's how I grew up. Mm. You know, I was... Um, raised that way that that was the american dream and my parents really bought into it i think because they're immigrants and they had that mentality of i'm gonna have the american dream Mm. um and unfortunately like you said it's not a true story it's Mm. not work it's not working out right Mm. um the reason the documentary did touch me so much was because uh i have actually gone through that very transformation in the past 10 years i was very very much sold and into that story i was a huge fashionista you know i used to actually have a fashion blog and i was really into um the consumerism i mean Mm. i felt like i feel like i was brainwashed Mm. by marketing and big business and once um i met my husband andrew who is like a total hippie and very into like uh peace love and saving um the dolphins (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, one of those, I, one of those. <laughs> and I had it in the back of my heart, but I was just raised with such a, I, you know, I really say a materialistic, um, ideal ideology. And I don't blame my parents. I really think that they were, they were sold on it. Yeah. They were sold on. This is the American dream. You have a really big house that you don't need mm. and you get two cars and you go to the mall on the weekends and look, I made it. I made it. You know, mm. my parents, uh, grew up in a war torn and my dad grew up very, very poor. So I think, they were kind of tricked. And that's what I really don't like about that whole story, like you said, is that it kind of also uh, markets towards ignorance. You know, there's a lot of marketing towards people who are poor that, you know, buying stuff is going to make you happy. Mm. And that's just not true mm. um, on so many levels. So it really touched me because it's just aligned with everything that I've come to be aligned with. Um, and I don't want to say it's the truth because that's, you know, I don't like to say anything's the truth. There are many different truths, but this truth seems to ring, ring very true for me that this massive consumerism just doesn't work. Mm, mm. It doesn't work. I've, I've done it and mm. it didn't work. Mm. And, you know, we also only buy recycled and I still get like my shopaholic uh, feelings out, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just yeah. like buying something that's like recycled. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. So those of you out there who are sh- shopaholics, like I used to be, you know, don't say, well, I don't want to give up going shopping. You actually don't have to. You just buy mm-hmm. higher quality stuff and, and, and recycled stuff. And then for those of you who are economically minded, you know, you, you, um, 
someone else buys the uh, depreciation and then you get it. <laughs> mm, that's good. That's good. No, I'm so I'm so glad you uh, enjoyed the film, and I it's really meaningful to listen to you talk. I, I really mean it. Well, we're here to have you on the show, Andrew. Um, <laughs> but thank you. Yes, it's it's was a great great film. I'm telling you, the second I saw Marianne um, tweeting about it, I was like, "What is this?" I watched the trailer, and I immediately went on my Facebook to all my fans, and I was like, "Go watch this." <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't let you down. I mean, that's like after you went ahead and promoted it. I'm so glad. I know, right? And then I watched it. I'm like, this is a piece of crap. Oh, my God. What was I doing? Delete the post. <laughs> um, so we have to wrap up in a few minutes. Um, so what are some more steps that people can take you know, in their communities, yeah. in their world to help either spread the word about the film or make a small shift in our little planet, our little spaceship floating around. Yeah. Well, um, I think, uh, you know, one of the biggest things is that we are at a, uh, an awareness stage on this issue and most people just aren't having this conversation. Clothing is not a conversation that most folks are talking about in the way that we're talking about food now and some other things. So, um, we you made, mean with the GMOs and the sustainability? Yeah like, yeah, like clothing. Yeah, these issues explored in the film. I mean, this is just not a household conversation yet. Like, I want to see in the next year fast fashion become a term as prevalent as fast food. You know, I want I want people to be aware of this. I think that's where a lot of the change starts. So, for anyone listening, you know, seeing the film, uh, screening the film with your friends, sharing about it online, that's just a great way to start to, like, expose people to the idea. Um, and the film is called True Cost Movie. It's called The True Cost. The True and, Cost. Yeah, the and true the, cost. And the, but the site is truecostmovie.com. Okay, got it. Um, and then all the social stuff and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's that's one thing. And then on there too, on our site, you can also, there's a learn more button and there's some some brands that we really love and recommend supporting. There's some... That uh, are ethical brands. That are, yeah, and tips and advice and different ways. So after you after you watch the film, you can go on the site and you can kind of learn some more. Um, and begin to to get curious and make changes in your own life. And I think, you know, something you said earlier is really great. Like, not only can you make personal buying decisions in your life, but you can also communicate to the brands that you love that stuff matters to you. And I've spent time with companies, and one of the things that they've said is when you go in a store or when you go online and you say, hey, where was this made or how was this made or what's your relationship like with your suppliers or what's your standard on this or that – even if it's not like it doesn't feel like you're changing anything standing there, they make a note of the fact that you asked. And I think that's a really powerful step, too, that it's not necessarily just about a boycott. It's really about asserting your power, your voice um, with your dollars to say, you know what? This matters to me. I like your brand. I've, I've enjoyed that buying your products. even be more important than a boycott. I think so. Yeah. I think so. So yeah, I just think, you know, watch the film, begin to have this conversation with, with the people in your life, begin to look at your own wardrobe. Uh, it's an exciting thing. It's not a downer. This is a really meaningful change. <laughs> it is. No, I don't want people no, to hear it like that. Not, you know what I mean? It's not a downer. You're bringing awareness to some negative issues, but it's not a downer. I actually have felt an immense amount of freedom shifting my, my wardrobe, you know, um, and we play a little game. Me and my husband have a game that when I want to get something, uh, new I have to donate something and when I donate something and when I say something new I mean I go to Goodwill and get something different <laughs> but and so it keeps me not from having so much and we purposely actually live in a um a small one bedroom apartment on purpose because we don't want to accumulate more stuff so um there's other things you can do you know because we could have a bigger place but what what's the purpose you know um and actually now I feel really creepy and big big house isn't it amazing stuff. too because however you're right however big your place is you just fill it up isn't that you crazy? whatever you have you fill it up that's that's true it's like having a big purse you're gonna have more stuff in there so we purposely live my husband's crazy he wanted to do after we interviewed some tiny house people and he wanted to go do you know about the tiny yeah, house movement yeah, I do, and yeah. he wanted to go tiny house i'm like no we're not going tiny house <laughs> it's too small he's like we're he's like we're going we can do it 200 square feet i'm like no we're not going to tiny yeah. house yeah but the more the bigger your place the more stuff you fill fill and so we purposely live in a small place so that we're not buying all this crap mm. you know mm. and my poor mother she lives in a four-bedroom house by herself because it's our family home and she never she's too emotionally attached to it and guess what all four bedrooms are filled with crap yeah 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 <laughs> so the um uh, any any other steps? Any other things that people can no, do I mean, in their I just, lives I to think, empower themselves? Well, I think what you're doing is, uh, I think what you're mentioning there is really interesting, and I think it kind of dovetails into just some of the larger, like minimalistic movement that we're seeing happen in the world right now, which is yeah. really kind of in contradiction to the the materialism thing, and it's uh, it's making a lot of people a lot happier. So I think, yeah, you know, beginning to look at your life and say, am I happier with all of this stuff? Am I happier buying all of this? 
or, or, or am I not? Am I buying into a story that's fundamentally untrue? I think just, just start to ask that question. You know, we all change at different pace and we all have different paths, but that curiosity uh, that set me in motion to make this film is the kind of curiosity that I think um, I would love other people to just begin. Just begin asking the questions. And separate yourself. You know, um, our guest last week was talking about, you know, if you feel um, emotional, uh, because a lot of people emotional shop mm. uh, to fill voids or when they're depressed, you know, mm. oh, I, let me go shopping and buy something new, make myself feel better. There's other free things you can do that don't add to the consumerism and also are free so you save money, um, like going on a walk or spending time with your family members or, you know, going out to play tennis. Exercising actually is a really, really, really awesome um, way to release endorphins and it's free and it doesn't add any more consumerism. Um, so, emotionally detaching from that because it is an addiction it's actually you get a little high you get a little high when you go out and get that new you know pair of socks or whatever silly thing um how can people find you on twitter on social media uh i'm at andrew underscore morgan and the film is at true cost movie instagram is at true cost movie facebook is the true cost well, um, thank you so much for being a guest in the show. And we really, really hope to see some more amazing documentaries and narrative films from you. And, you know, anything that you do, send our way and we'll promote it. Thanks. I had a great time. Okay. This has been Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Tran. Guys, visit our sponsor, HugMeTease.com. Spread love. Give a hug. HugMeTease.com. Um, as always, we're on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes. If you enjoyed the podcast, go on iTunes.com, log in and look for Out of the Box Podcast and leave a positive comment. If you hated the podcast, go on iTunes.com, look up Out of the Box Podcast and leave a negative comment. That's fine. You know, let us know how you feel about the podcast and all comments, negative or positive, lift us in the numbers. So that helps us out either way. Click on the subscribe button. If you have any questions for me about the podcast or any guests that you would like to see on the show, you can send me an email at info at outoftheboxpodcast.com. As always, we love, love, love donations on the website. We are now accepting Litecoins and Bitcoins. This has been Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Tran. Also, follow me on Twitter at Funny Rosie. Thanks, guys. <laughs>